Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, Barry Temple, to the show. Welcome, Barry. Hello, Tammy, and thanks for the invitation. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so glad we could finally talk today. And and you know what? I thought we'd first bring up your beginnings. You know, how did you enter the entertainment industry? What inspired you? Well, uh, when I was a child, you know, I, I always enjoyed taking art classes. I even took extra art classes. Uh, aside from the public schools uh, at night uh, occasionally. And I knew I wanted to make my living as an artist. So um, I thought I might be a commercial artist, like, you know, advertising or something like that. Um, But when I was 16 or 17, I saw Fantasia. And that that pointed me in a direction. I said, I'm going to be an animator. I'm going to move to Los Angeles. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to study and I'm going to become a Disney animator. Now, everybody says that. Everybody says, I'm going to be an NFL football star. I'm going to be a ballerina. I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then they hit a point where they, reality sets in, and then they, um, they might do something other than that. I decided, no, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to focus on just this one goal in life, and it didn't matter how long it took. And it did take quite a long time. So uh, I did move to the Los Angeles area from the Omaha area. I grew up on an Air Force base, off at Air Force Base, and um, uh, pointed my Pinto toward Los Angeles. And uh, everything I had in the world was in that Pinto, which was almost nothing. And somehow it got through the desert, and uh, I got a little apartment. I didn't know where I was. I just got an apartment near an art school that I had enrolled in. And um, didn't know where I was, so I thought I'd take a walk around. And I turned out to be right around the corner from the Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Didn't know I was there. And uh, that was a good and bad thing. Good thing is that it was very active. Um, Bad thing is I could never get a parking place, especially on Friday and Saturday nights, uh, because the movie theater was there. So I, I had to move to the valley, and they said, no, you ought to move to the valley. And I went, wow, that sounds great, the valley. Like there'd be lots of trees and a, and a brook running through the, the trees and deer drinking out of it. And so I was driving in the middle of uh, North Hollywood. I couldn't find the valley. And I pulled over to a gas station and I asked somebody to work there. I said, can you tell me where I can find the valley? He says, well, you're right in the middle of it. And it was the San Fernando Valley which was all, there was no rivers, there was no brooks, there was no deer. It was all um, built up. But I got an apartment in North Hollywood because it was near uh, where Hanna-Barbera, where Disney, where 
all of the studios were and um, started taking art classes at night, working factories during the day or vice versa. Art classes during the day, factory work at night. I did that for a couple of years. So finally, I uh, had enough um, work under, under, under my belt in terms of a, a portfolio that I could take it around and get to meet people and in the industry. And I started getting little jobs here and there. I even shot animation camera for a month after I finished working on a, I think it was an educational film or, or something. And that was 1975 was when I got my first paychecks to do animation. So that explains why I have gray hair. I've been in the industry for a very long time. From what I see from your credits, uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol is one of the first Disney credits on your IMDb page. So how did you kind of get drawn to the company from there? Well, um, I was at Hanna-Barbera in 1977, uh, Ralph Bakshi Studio, working on their cartoon version of Lord of the Rings in 1978. Um, And in 1979, I went back to Hanna-Barbera. But I was all that time I was taking classes at the union, the cartoonist union, from Cliff Norberg, who was one of uh, Disney's top animators uh, from the 1940s all the way, and he was still active in the 1970s. And he was going to be my uh, mentor. He showed my work to Disney's review board. Now, in those days, they really only recruited from Cal Arts and for Eric Larson's animator training program. They took they took in almost no one else. But they really liked what I had done and what Cliff had showed them. He was going to be my mentor, and uh, he was working on the Fox and the Hound. So they did hire me, uh, and unfortunately, Cliff died suddenly of a heart attack. So I ended up working uh, on his unit and um, cleaning up uh, rough animation that he had done and also doing some rough in-betweens on some of the work that he had done. Uh, mainly on those birds, uh, Boomer and Dinky in uh, The Fox and the Hound. I worked on Fox and the Hound for about a year, but I didn't get screen credit because in those days, the credits came at the beginning of a movie, not at the end. So only a very few people, only department heads and very key people got screen credit. So in those days, they didn't give everybody credit. So my first Disney credit turned out to be Mickey's Christmas Carol because that was the, the, next, the next project that I worked on. And I did get credit on that, uh, even though the credits, again, were all at the beginning of the movie. But I did enough work to where I could get credit at the beginning of the movie. And then from there, we have The Black Cauldron, The Great Mouse Detective. And, and leading from these two projects is MGM Studios, which had its own art building it's art studio so the families that were coming into the doors they could actually see the uh, the animation and the films being made right in front of their eyes what what sticks out most to you that's one of the things was uh, all the great people we got to meet now the problem was uh, when it first uh, was getting ready to open there was nobody there they were starting to have soft opening tours uh, to get the park up and running, but there were no animators. So I was the supervising animator on Flounder in The Little Mermaid back in California, but they wanted me in Florida. <clears throat> How soon can we get Barry in Florida? So I finished my last scene on The Little Mermaid on a Friday and then reported for work the following Monday morning in Florida. I, so I moved from California and Florida in one weekend. So I had to put everything I had on a truck and rent a car for a couple of weeks when I first arrived in 
Florida. So, uh, but there were some other artists there. Uh, they weren't, they had not worked in animation, but there were a few people just sitting in um, uh, chairs. Alex Coopersmith was one of them. He had worked in the um, department that did uh, consumer product design and theme park design. And he was already there. So I got to meet him there and one or two others, but I was the first animator to, to arrive uh, in Florida from the California studio. And um, we didn't have anything to work on. So we knew we were going to work on a Roger Rabbit cartoon. So I started doing a pencil test animation of Roger Rabbit and shooting it on the camera that was facing the crowd that was coming through so they could see um, animation in front of them, which was the whole point of the tour. That was Michael Eisner's idea, was that he wanted people to see, uh, not people pretending to be an animator, but actually see people painting backgrounds, drawing layouts, shooting camera, uh, doing visual effects, doing character animation, all in front of them. They could stay all day if they wanted to. And some people actually did. But addressing your point about the visitors that would come in, yes, we, we saw uh, Princess Diana came in once with her two boys. Uh, I gave a tour to uh, many celebrities uh, uh, and their families. I met Robin Williams and his family before he did the genie. Um, uh, that was a memorable day. Um, surprising about him was that he's actually, in his real personal life, very low-key and soft-spoken. He hardly speaks above a whisper. You know, he when he goes on, then he becomes this wild man that, that people expect. But in his real life, he's very polite, very soft-spoken, and he listens more than he speaks. So I was showing the scene that I was animating at that time, and I believe it might have been the very first... Oh, I know what it was. They were going to do a Roger Rabbit cartoon that they canceled. It was called Hair in My Soup. And I was doing... Uh, I was the first one to work on it, uh, and it had a Roger in a, it was a, in a, a kitchen and he was, uh, you know, he was getting fired by the head waiter and, um, it was all done in pantomime cause they hadn't recorded any voices yet. So I was single framing and showing his children step by step. And he was very into it, just very, uh, and Bobcat Goldwaite was with him and they were both very, it was almost like they wanted, uh, they were in school learning how, how we do this. Cause they wondered how we did this. And um, then when the crowd came through and recognized him, bam, he became the Robin Williams that we all recognized, the over-the-top guy, the guy, you know, at 100 miles an hour and entertaining them, even though they couldn't hear him through the glass, they could see him. Then uh, after that crowd left, he came back to himself in this really, really passive uh, character. It was interesting to, to see that the people that we see up on the screen, uh, like movie villains, are sometimes the sweetest and kindest people. Boris Karloff was always known as, as the boogeyman, but everyone who knew him personally said he was the most genuine, genuinely sweet and kind person they ever worked with and very unassuming. Uh, and uh, they, they, you know, it's because they're actors and they have to create these characters to please the audience. And that's what stood out for me about Robin was that. Uh, his, his true persona was not the one that you see on the screen. And along with the films that you were working on at the time, as you mentioned, The Little Mermaid, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, one of my personal favorites, Oliver and Company. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Oliver and Company and what specific characters you got to work on? Mainly I worked on Dodger, 
which was the only time I ever worked on a main character because I had an entire career where I worked on the comical sidekick characters. Uh, but uh, Dodger was uh, the, uh, the secondary character to Oliver. Uh, they were the two leads. But there was so much footage of, of Oliver and Dodger that um, uh, they asked me if I wanted to do Dodger. And I had never done a quadruped, which is a four-legged animal. And uh, I could, because I didn't animate any on or work with any on Fox and the Hound. I'd worked mostly on those birds. And so uh, I said, yes, but I had to really study, uh, you know, the, the, the process of a four-legged walk and run. And uh, it, was, it was difficult. It was difficult for all of us because we had the, the bar that was set, and that was 101 Dalmatians. We didn't want our work to look very poor in comparison to uh, something that was a masterpiece. I mean, 101 Dalmatians was an absolute masterpiece. And so we all worked very hard, the best we could, to try to get, we were all very inexperienced in uh, four-legged animals, to try to pull that off. And uh, so, uh, yeah, Billy Joel did a great job on The Voice. And um, uh, that was actually the, well, the one that I did right before, before The Little Mermaid. So um, that was one of the last projects I worked on in the California studio before I moved to Florida. My last credit was uh, Home on the Range, which was actually mostly made almost all in California. But there were two animators, uh, Sandro Cluzo, who's a superb animator, and uh, me. We worked on Home on the Range while most of the rest of the Florida studio was working on Brother Bear. And right before yeah. that, there was Lilo and Stitch, which you got to work on Pleakley and David. I love those two characters. Yeah. So different. <laughs> yeah, there was a long, long list of of characters. We'll go back to uh, when I arrived, uh, and my first project was that Roger Rabbit cartoon, Roller Coaster Rabbit, and uh, then we worked on The Rescuers Down Under. Um, we'd, uh, we'd never got really credit for what we did on Beauty and the Beast. We did entire sequences of Beauty and the Beast. The entire uh, Something There That Wasn't There Before song, the entire Kill the Beast song, um, the, the sequence where Belle dresses the wounds of the beast after he saves her from the, the wolves. He, he, while she dresses his wounds and they say their first kind words to each other. All of the game-changing moments where their feelings toward each other started to change. The moment where he's walking through the castle with the candlestick. And I animated the, uh, Lumiere in those sequences where Lumiere's trying to get him to break the ice. You know, invite her to dinner. Say something to her. You know, we got to break the ice here if we're going to break the spell, is what he was saying, subliminally. And uh, we got all that in Florida and much, much more. A great deal of Bell was done in, in um, um, Florida. I, I did all of the objects, Mrs. Potts, Cogsworth, Lumiere, and all of the sequences that were sent to Florida. I was the, the object, the enchanted objects animator. But, you know, we didn't, we were kept a secret. Uh, pretty much. Uh, we didn't appear in the DVD extras or anything like that. Nobody really knew that we were working on Beauty and the Beast right there in Florida, except the, the tourists and, and visitors that would come through could see us. But I remember somebody that I knew that worked in the park had seen the finished movie. And I was in the commissary there, and she said, oh, I just saw Beauty and the Beast. It's such a great movie. Have you seen it? And I said, well, I worked on it for almost a year. She said, you did. And she knew that I worked in the animation department. 
but we were so secret uh, that nobody really believed that we were an actually functioning animation studio. And the same thing happened with Aladdin. Uh, we did entire sequences. I animated four or five sequences of the Sultan myself in Aladdin. Uh, all, all of, um, uh, most, well, I wouldn't say all of, but quite a bit of uh, Jasmine was done in the Florida studio. Almost no genie animation was done there. But we uh, animated about a fourth of Aladdin, and about a fourth of the Lion King was made in the Florida studio. That's not just animation, that's backgrounds, layouts, uh, you know, uh, other artists, cleanup artists, visual effects, all of it. Uh, but, you know, when it came time to a movie coming out, we were kind of pushed aside. So it wasn't until Mulan was released that they actually featured us in studio publicity because I would guess, I'm guessing uh, 95% of Mulan was made in the Florida studio. So, uh, yeah, we, we had a lot to do with what was going on at that time. It, it's such a shame because we did lose the Florida studio around 2004 and it was it was just a it was just a very unique opportunity again as i said for the audience to really feel like they're involved and and to really understand you know the animators and how hard it is to you know maybe complete a scene or create a character so i always was fascinated with that and one of my favorite films during the post disney renaissance as they say is atlantis the lost empire so what particular character or or subject did you work on for this film i can't remember what the order was but i had a, a window of a two or three months where i wasn't going to be working on anything so uh, the directors uh, who worked with me on Beauty and the Beast liked my work, and they said, would you help us out on Atlantis? I said, I, I did, I'd be happy to. So um, I wasn't given a character per se. I did, uh, which was very difficult, I did a lot of them. I had to do all of the characters sitting around this campfire uh, t uh, talking. I remember that. But it was quite common that there would be more than one character in a scene, so I had to do all of them. Um, normally you don't do that. Normally you just do your character. Like if I had a scene of the Sultan with Jasmine, uh, Mark Hamm would do Jasmine and I would do the Sultan. Um, uh, but, but because I was all by myself, I was the only character animator, I think, in Florida that was working on Atlantis. There were some visual effects artists who worked on it, but I believe I was the only character animator that was working on it. Um, uh, so I was kind of like uh, just like an island unto myself for those uh, three months before the next picture. And I can't remember what it was, what followed Atlantis. I can't remember what it was, but maybe it was John Henry. Maybe it was John Henry, but uh, I think it was. I, I was the animator who did that uh, Foreman of the Railroad with a Scottish accent. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. That That's probably my favorite Disney short ever. It's just so well made and I adore it. I got to speak with Mark Henn maybe about a year ago for the 15th anniversary of that film. And it still holds up to this day. It's just a beautifully made film. So, Well, uh, it was a very high morale. Everybody was having such a great time. You know, Mark would have been a very good feature animation director. Actually, John Henry, in my opinion, would have been a better subject matter for a full-length movie than some of the other choices they were making at that time. Because the backstory of that whole thing was all about the end of the Civil War and, um, you know, uh, the, the, the pursuit of the former slaves to make a life for themselves. 
and it was about they were promised land uh, if they did this uh, job for the railroad. The railroad company would turn over private land for them to be able to build farms. So they would no longer have to work for the railroad. They could be their own um, business owners or farmers and ranchers. And that could have been a great full-length movie story. Uh, but they, they made a short out of it. But uh, if they ever redo it, I would hope they'd make a full-length movie on it because there's so much backstory that could could be so, so good. Um, but it was done in an unusual style. As you know, very rough, sketchy drawing, not cleaned up to see if the digital paint would work on top of something that was very sketchy because uh, the digital paint has to have a fine line, an end line to it, or it'll bleed over to the next area uh, because the computer doesn't know where to stop it. You have to have a closed line. And so we, even though we were working scribbly, um, it, was a, it was a task for the paint, digital painters to know where the um, color would come to an end and another color would stop in something that was that sketchy. But all of the construction lines, uh, the construction lines, the animators rough out were left in. And then the backgrounds would compensate for that by being a scratchboard technique, like scratchboard art. There was the scratchboard effect, and then there was the quilt effect of uh, handmade quilts in some of the song sequences. I worked on a little bit of that, where it was styled to look like sewed together quilts, which was very, very creative. There's been so much that has happened since the studios in Florida closed. Um, What have you been up to recently? Well, after the studio closed, of course, there was the digital revolution. So I uh, trained myself in uh, using Maya and Lightwave and other uh, softwares to do animation. And I I worked in some small studios to start. Uh, But for uh, the last seven years, I have been teaching computer animation at Full Sail University here in Orlando, and uh, for the last uh, four years, I have been doing contract animation for Electronic Arts on their EA Sports games. Um, I never pictured myself as a teacher, but I actually did. All the years that Florida was in existence, they had their training program in Florida. What happened was uh, they had a training when you were art students from Cal Arts or, or Ringling or uh, Columbus Art Institute or anybody that came in would have this crash course and they would do animated films. What it turned out to be peculiar was that the ones that came to Florida always scored higher because it was kind of like a blind test. They would screen them and then the review boards would grade them not knowing who they were. And the the Florida grades always came out higher. So they decided, okay, we're going to have all of our training in Florida, whether they're going to work in the California or Florida studio we're sending them all out to Florida because something's going on out there that's allowing them to excel in these um, and, and in this training. So uh, I was teaching all the years I was in Florida. I was teaching them and giving lectures along with everybody else. Uh, I, I would teach timing and staging and things like that. So I was already used to standing up in front of a room and uh, showing examples of both modern and um, classic animation and show, showed, uh, you know, uh, animation principles to, to them. And so now that's what I do. And, and it's basically the same. You're just using a mouse and a keyboard instead of a pencil and paper. But the principles of animation are exactly the same. You know, you're just using different tools. 
And before we end our interview, I have three Disney-themed questions I always ask my guests. I call them the Fab Three. So we'll start with the Donald question, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see in the movie theater? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't exactly a child. I was 16 or 17. But the one that affected me the most was Fantasia. And our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Well, I rescued some um, baby kittens that were near death. They were born in the wild, and they were very near death. And I'm a dog person. I've never been a cat person. So now I'm a dog person with three cats. So I have an affinity for the cat that I just love in 101 Dalmatians, Sergeant Tibbs. A lot of people say, you know, they talk about the main characters, you know, but there's something about some of those supporting characters. Maybe it's because I made my career doing supporting characters. Like I was a supervising animator on the little cricket in Mulan, which was a pantomime character. He didn't talk or speak through the movie, but uh, that, that Sergeant Tibbs a character, uh, I can't get enough of that, um, that character. Maybe it's because now I have an affection for cats that I didn't have before. And our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Well, it has to be When You Wish Upon a Star. Everybody's going to say that. Uh, They still play it in front of every movie to this day. You hear those opening bars of When You Wish Upon a Star when you see that castle, Uh, even though uh, Pinocchio was in uh, 1939 or 1940, and even though it was sung by Jiminy Cricket, you know, 70-some years ago, it's still the definitive uh, Disney song. I love that choice, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, Barry. It was I'm always fascinated with animation, so to talk to any animator is a complete honor, and talking to you today was just so much fun. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Why should I put it in? Why should I put it in? 